I want somebody to tell me Answer if you can I want somebody to tell me Just what is the soul of a man I'm gonna ask a question Answer if you can Can somebody out there tell me Just what is the soul of a man to foreign lands I found nobody to tell me just what is the soul of a man Is the soul of a 
That was Eric Burden singing Soul of a Man. I'm Jim Patton. I'm your host for the MOH podcast today, and this is MOH podcast number five. And the reason I played that song is because today this is what Winky's going to be talking about on the tape that we have. Uh, I just want to say a couple things about the tape. Uh, I'm guessing the date is probably around 1974 because uh, Winky mentions his little pocket a computer that he carries on his hip, and that was uh, back in those days. It was a, a thing called uh, an HP 45 Hewlett Packard HP 45, one of the first uh, compact uh, scientific calculators. Which even back in those days, uh, when you could buy uh, you know a brand new Ford Pinto for like two thousand dollars, that HP 45 was four hundred dollars. And somebody gave one of those to Winky, and uh, he carried that around, and he would like to show it off. Uh, because of, well, you'll find out why. He wants to make the comparison of that, that what was at that time very high technology. Uh, and he wants to compare that to the human mind as we go along. But this is a really cool um, tape. It's It was actually very short. It's only about half an hour. My guess is that perhaps it was part of a series. And I don't know if I haven't, I've looked through the uh, digitized tapes that we have, and I don't know whether we have any of the others from this series, but it's okay. It'll stand on its own, and it's just give you a little background. Uh, so here it is with Winky talking about what is the soul of a man. My hair have about a hundred, about a thousand hairs per square inch. Gives me about a hundred and twenty thousand hair roots on my head. Some of us have lost somewhat of our hair roots, and then we got some incredible things here. One time, this is all on video, of course, what we're dealing with today, but one time I was in a color television studio and we were putting some video down and a guy said to me, do you know, he said, we've got, uh, there is in the world this incredible color cameras. You realize that color cameras are fairly expensive things. And uh, he said, this is incredible. It's just really fantastic. I said, what's it like? He said, well, this color camera actually has two lenses in it, and it takes stereo, three-dimensional pictures. I said, wow, that's really heavy. He said, yeah, it is. Not only that, you've heard of automatic light compensation. You know, if light levels change, for instance, when we're videoing, if light level changes, some cameras are built so that they automatically compensate for small changes of light. He said, this not only has automatic light compensation, it has automatic focusing. He said, if you aim it at something far away, it focuses there. And I knew they were working on this with, with still cameras. You know, Nikon's working on an automatic focusing lens. And you, you aim it at something like that, and it'll focus long. And then if you bring it up close, it'll focus short. It's all automated. But I had no idea at all they'd bought this out on a camera that was a, a color camera for television type thing. He said, that's right. He said, uh, built into the camera system. There's, of course, you know, it, it, not only three-dimensional pictures in moving color, in full living color and 3D, but he said this one here actually has a built-in cleaning devices for the lens that keeps them clean. And I said, I've never heard of it. I said, boy, this kind of cameras that he said, I'll tell you in a second. And I said, well, well uh, how... You know, how do they build it? He said, it's really small, too. They've got it really compacted down. And I said, what is it called? He said, I've got to tell you about the most incredible thing about it of all. He said, 
If something approaches the lens very fast, like this, there's a device, a small computer device, that automatically shuts down a shield over the top of the lens and protects the lens. And I was blowing my mind. I said, I can't, I've never heard of a camera like that. What's it called? He said, the human eye. It's called the human eye. And I said, yeah, try to strangle him to death. But um, in the back of this eye that you have at least 137 million seeing elements that are connected up, some of them for sensing light and darkness. And then you've got over a million nerve lines that lead directly into your brain. Your ears, these two ears here, you've got stereo microphones with a dynamic frequency between 20 and about 18,000 cycles a second. You girls can hear a little bit more, higher than guys, usually, and uh, as everybody gets older, and uh, if you go to too many rock concerts in your life, you lose all your high frequencies and your low frequency response. And then here you have a heart pear-shaped organ between your lungs, which for no definite reason pumps away at about 72 to 74 beats a minute. It does the work of 126,000 foot-pounds a day, which is the work a 150-pound person would do running up 40 steps 40 times, um, enough power to lift a 126,000-pound weight one foot, like this every day. It beats about 40 million times a year. You have a brain up here, central computer system, it's a coordination system. Uh, could you bring me my computer? Is it in there, Lee? Could you bring me my computer? I want to show you a little bit something here. Um, if we got it here, I don't know whether it's here. But uh, thanks. I visited the Smithsonian Institute earlier this year and saw there their first computer that was ever built. I mentioned this to you a bit earlier, and that was a very, very large thing, an incredible thing. Probably filled up a room at least twice as large as this whole building. And uh, huge, you could watch it count. Here I have a miniaturized computer and this thing has over 50,000 transistors in it. It will do the, the work. Anything that big computer will do, this one will do. It has over 14 memory banks. It works much, much faster. And it com can compute very, very rapidly. And the wild thing is I can carry this on my belt. I can work out probabilities and, and things with it uh, much, much faster. Now, the wild thing is the transistor was only invented 25 years ago. This thing has all kinds of storage capacity. It has a 15-digit readout. You can uh, uh, you know, program it up so that it'll give you a, a readout up to uh, nine decimal places, stuff like this. It's quite an incredible machine. This only has 14 memory banks in it. And it's just been a, a a work of genius to get it into something this size. But this is absolutely nothing compared to the brain. Human brain has storage capacity that seems to be almost unlimited. And yet we seem to only use about one-tenth of one percent of our entire, in our entire lives, we only seem to use that amount. Just goes to show you, if our brains have this much available to us, you could hardly say that they have evolved a vast amount since we haven't used a vast amount of it. Now, 
All of these things, part of our flesh. Um, but you got something else, and this helps your flesh no end. It's called bones. Your bones are kind of the infrastructure, the structure that's underneath the flesh. And this is for framework, for protection, and for support. You've got between 208 and 214 bones in your body. The largest and the strongest ones are in your upper legs. And the smallest are the bones here in your inner ear, the hammer, the stirrup, and the anvil. Your backbone has about 33 vertebrae in it. That's the bones. That's kind of the skeleton with the people all scraped off. So that's what you've got, flesh and bones. There is a third part of the body, making it in itself a little trinity, and that is the blood. Scripture tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is over a thousand years before Harvey. It takes about 45 seconds for the blood to absorb oxygen and to circulate completely through the body. Now, in the blood, it's a wild thing. You have, I call it a, like a, a food and air transfer system. Those are called the red cells, and you have about 25 trillion of those buzzing around inside your system. And then the white cells, the white cells are like a police force and garbage collectors, and you've got some 35,000 million of those. And then there's some stuff called fibrin. If you cut your hand in some way, fibrin is like a set of mats, and your bloodstream lays these mats out, and what it does is it traps the... Uh, the red cells and the white cells as they come up to do battle with infection and germs, it traps them in this mat and it forms a ceiling. And that's what forms a scab or a scar over the top of your wound until underneath the tissue can reheal and reseal itself. And then there's plasma, of course, it just floats everything along. The average person has about 25 trillion cells in their bloodstream. If put end to end, they would reach halfway to the moon. And of course, if you did that with the average person, he would die. Ten million red cells wear out every second. And uh, you can see that you need to eat a lot of liver. And, and when you get over uh, 30 years old and you join the Geritol generation, you need to continually replace these red cells uh, or you'll die. Ten million of them, that's an awful lot to wear out every, every second, isn't it? Besides that, your body exhales about nine million times a year. You, in, you exhale CO2 and then uh, your stomach produces in 70 years about 60,000 quarts of hydrochloric acid. And during that time, if you are an average eater, you will eat some 80,000 pounds of food or some 40 tons by that time. That's just one single person. If any of you are feeling like you should have a large number of children, you should reconsider these facts before you uh, undertake this task. Now, that's just the body, which is an incredible thing. We spent a, a lot of time just looking at the physical side. But I haven't drawn the body, this triangle here, with uh, the largest part of the diagram because I don't really believe it's the most important part. For one thing, the body that you now have, this one here, is not going to be the body you will one day have if you're a Christian. 
And that's a very encouraging thing to me because, you see, I had no choice over the body I had. I got the one I had by birth. It's the one I'll keep until the day I die or until the Lord comes back, whichever is first. But sometimes I've looked at my body and I thought, I wish you could do some more things with that body. I wish I was another foot higher and, you know, had another three inches of muscle on my arm. But I know I could never make a hell's angel because... If I put a chain around my neck, I couldn't get even up off the chair. So I haven't been able to really do a great deal of things for this body of mine. But one day I'm going to get a new body. The Bible talks about a new body which will be given. The scripture talks about in Corinthians. One day we'll be given a, what's called a spiritual body. Now a spiritual body is not a ghost. It is a body which is really physical, but it is a body totally under control of the spirit, which means this. I honestly believe that in the new world you'll have a body where metaphysics are ruled by morals. In other words, if you're a little short, you don't like your height, something like that, the Bible says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to your statue? In a body where the metaphysics are ruled by the morals, if you're a little short, you could just take thought and add one foot six inches to your statue. If you're a little tall, you can shorten up. If you're a little fat, get skinnier. And some of us need this control right now. However, we're going to get this by gift. We won't have to work for it. We won't have to do anything. It just simply comes as part and parcel of the gifts that God gives to his kids in the new world. That's called a spiritual body. Uh, this body is not going to be subject to sickness, disease, to death, to decay. As a matter of fact, it will not be subject at all to the second law of thermodynamics, that everything in the universe will run down and decay. So be a new body. You know, I had a friend one time, and he was telling me about a friend of his. This friend of his was a market gardener, and he used to work with roses. A very beautiful thing happened one day. He was looking at a rose, a new strain that he'd produced. And as he was looking at this rose, the Lord spoke to him and said, Son, you really love roses, don't you? And he thought the Lord was going to get on his case for loving roses too much, and he said, Yes, I do, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Son, you're looking at a rose that has come from an earth that has been cursed because of sin. He said, You wait till you see a rose from my new gardens. And then you can say, I have seen a rose. And his mind started blowing, you know. And the Lord spoke to him again and said, Son, you're looking at a rose that has come from an earth that has been cursed because of sin with eyes that belong to a body of death. You wait till you see a rose from my new gardens with your new eyes. Then you can say, I have seen a rose. So we can get excited about this body, but the real thing we ought to get excited about is our personalities because it is here where we most become like God. It's quite obvious we're not related to God physically because his stuff is uncreated and ours is created. But right here, we are related to him, very directly and very personally related. The Bible reveals that man not only has a body, but a soul or a personality. And I've given this three distinct parts. We'll call one side the emotions, the ability to feel. Call the other one the reason, the ability to think. And then thirdly, this central line representing it, the will the ability to choose, or volition, if you want it to be in assonance with reason and emotion. The ability to choose, to feel, and to think. 
These are all important. If a man cannot think, he becomes an idiot. If a man cannot feel, he becomes a robot. If he cannot choose, he becomes a puppet. All three are necessary for real personality. The Bible reveals that we have self-consciousness. We are able to be conscious of ourselves. And uh, the spirit and the body merge to form a third distinct entity. It's interesting, in the book of Genesis, when God says he breathed into man the breath of life, in King James, in the plural, it, it's plural in Hebrew, it says he breathed into man the breath of lives, and it's plural. Uh, in 1 Samuel 18.1, the Bible shows that the soul can experience emotions of effect, affection, for instance. 1 Samuel 18.1, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Um, Deuteronomy 6.5, we have the first mention of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. So uh, affections, as well as choices, all these different things are assigned to the soul. The Bible shows also that the soul can have reason or knowledge or understanding. Uh, Proverbs 19, 2 in the Derby translation reads that a soul be without knowledge is not good. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 14, so shall the knowledge be pleasant to thy soul. And uh, all these kind of words, there's a great bunch of them. I'll just show you here uh, a little uh, study I've got together here. If our cameraman would like to zoom in on this and look up close. Uh, these are some of the scriptures the Bible talks about in uh, the personality, having emotions. You can see the motion of affection, of uh, repulsion, desire, and all these others. And then over here, we also have some more. The Bible also ascribes salvation to the soul. The Bible never says that he will save your spirit or your bodies specifically, but the soul is what God tries to save. Over here, again, the reason ascribed to the soul, thoughts, wisdom, all these other words. So you make your own study. The scriptures teach that the soul has will, emotions, and reason. All of these are distinct from the personality, distinct from the man himself. An interesting thing took place some years back. A scientist by the name of Dr. Jerome K. Stowell was working in an experiment to try and find brain waves and to measure them. We know there's a lot of work today being run on alpha waves and theta waves and, and different waves like this. He was trying to discover the wavelength of different brains. And just to see if there was a, a, brains had one certain kind of wavelength. And he found in his researches that the brain not only had one wavelength, but sometimes entire channels of wavelengths. And so much so that in these finer channels, each brain that was measured had a slightly different frequency than the others. Never found one exactly the same. And in his experiment, particular track points out a very interesting thing happened. 
They were measuring, trying to find out what happened to the soul at the point of death. What happened to the personality at the point of death? So they had um, connected up their devices to a patient who had volunteered for this situation. And this person was a Christian. She was dying of a particularly uh, virulent form of cancer. And as the last days began to approach, they were monitoring their instruments, trying to see what exactly would happen to these frequencies at the point of death. And uh, she forgot all about the experiment, and they were watching her through a one-way glass mirror. And as the time came, and she realized she was going, she began to pray. And as she prayed, a strange thing happened. On their instrument, which was very sensitive and yet quite a wide-range scale, they began, as she started praying, tremendous, um, a tremendous amount of energy began to be radiated out from her mind. Vast amount of energy. And uh, this woman, in praying, was radiating more energy than a 500,000 watt broadcasting station on this frequency. Just tremendous output. And uh, the scientists couldn't believe it. They, they looked down and saw the needle going bashing against the side of the scale. And uh, needless to say, when she died, this whole just vanished like this. And needless to say, a large number of the scientists were really puzzled about that. So a wild thing happened. Later on in their experiments, they connected to a man who was dying of another disease. This was not exactly cancer. It was form of syphilis. And during the time the guy was down in the hospital bed, they had a zero reading meter like this because sometimes you get negative or positive uh, readings on it go either way. See? And a nurse came in and this guy was trying to do a line with this nurse and she just turned him down flat and he really got mad and he started cursing and swearing at her. When he did, he used the name of God and he cursed and swore and he used Christ's name and a wild thing happened with the meter. It went this way and pegged the needle this way. And the dude who's watching got saved. Now, we have some very strange things happen in this area of personality. There's been some recent research, especially in Russia, and these results have been published in different journals. And uh, this is a new branch of photography. It's called Curlian photography. Curlian photography, you put uh, the thing you're going to photograph in a high-energy ionic field. There's special generators you use for this, high-frequency field. And what they do is when they're photographing the leaves, uh, say you get a living leaf and you put it in this field, one thing happens, under, when you develop the negative, you see a bright energy pattern all the way around the leaf. And what they've done with these leaves is sometimes they've ripped a bit out of the leaf like this, and they've cut that back. But when they put the leaf back under the field and photograph it again, instead of the thing looking like this, 
as you'd expect it, it retains the original shape of the leaf in its energy. So what you've got, really, very strange thing. The original shape of the leaf continues to remain there in energy field. And they could keep breaking off pieces of the leaf like this, and it still continues to retain that leaf shape until at a certain point when they've ripped off so much of the leaf that the leaf cannot stand the shock anymore and it dies, suddenly, when they re-photograph again, all the pattern and outline of the energy field dies. It's gone. There's nothing left there at all. Now, this is only leaves. These are only probably the lowest order of all plants. And yet, if this is true with plants, and they've also taken curling photo photographs of people's fingers and seen like almost like light rays coming out of the pores of their fingers, energy. This is true with plants. How much more true of human beings who are made in the image of God? I believe the soul is an energy that is superior and different to the matter of the body. What we have here is a real dis distinction, even in the field of science, between metaphysics and morals. Somehow, personality or life is a force that is distinct and different from the matter that houses it. So we have actually, then, in a scientific way, a demonstration at least of some energy that transcends simply matter. So our brains, our minds are not just brain. It's not just brain tissue. There is a real personality inside that. The first law of thermodynamics states that matter can neither be created nor destroyed, that the amount of energy in the universe remains constant. Then what, what happens to that energy of the leaf? Where does it go to? When a man dies, when a woman dies, what happens to that personality? There have been a number of incidences where people have died and come back to life. Probably the most fascinating one of all was the story of a young man who was a, a war veteran, returned, and he went in for surgery. He remembers only lying on the bed in great pain and then suddenly a feeling of release. He said he woke up, he got up out of bed, he felt great. He went along the corridor and he looked back and he saw that he was in a ward where somebody had died. They had pulled a sheet over the top of the body. And he said he looked down and he got an awful fright because on the finger of the body he saw a ring that was really his ring. And he wondered who had stolen his ring. So he ran along the corridor and he saw two doctors coming towards him. As the doctors approached him, he went up to ask them who this person was. But they kept on talking and went right through him. And he, he freaked out. He's just standing there looking and he ran back looking for the place and he saw the room finally that he'd come out of and he realized whose ring it was. It was his. And he was standing there. Now God had been dealing with this man for a long, long time. And there suddenly he realized death is a very real thing. And it had happened to him, but he could still, his personality was still there. And he, he remembers uh, seeing a, uh, like the whole room shimmer and change, and he said he saw a man walking along. The man was a young man, and he was, he was just walking unseeing in one direction. 
And behind him, there was a woman, an older woman, looked like his mother, who was holding her hands out like this to him, and he couldn't hear her, and she couldn't get up close to him to get his attention. The room shifted again, and he saw the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him for a, a couple of minutes, told him, uh, you must go back. And he said the next second he remembers is sitting up in the operating table. This man medically died for, I think it was nearly seven minutes, and it's the longest time a person has been medically dead without any damage at all in the brain. I have known, but this instance is recorded in the little book, Voices at the Edge of Eternity. I have a friend who was a minister, uh, just, he works with the full gospel businessman, and he was one of the top jewelers in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he also died on the operating table. He said the funniest thing happened to him. He was lying there like this, and he saw his own body, and he saw himself leaving it. He looked down, saw the body, and uh, he felt totally at peace. He felt absolutely no sense of pain, release, joyful. And then he said the door opened, the doctor went out to tell his wife, and he said the door opened and in slipped in a guy that had been a young Christian that he had been teaching and training that he'd made some promises to. And that kid, he said, I saw him fall on the bed beside the side of the hospital bed as I was leaving. And he said, he started to cry and he started pounding the bed and he said, God, that isn't fair. You promised me that he would spend some time teaching me and he's gone. You haven't kept your promise. And he said, just as he said that, I was saying, oh no. And the Lord said, I'm sorry, you'll have to go back. And he said, the next thing I did was sat up, up on the bed, speaking in tongues. And he said, the doctor came in, just as my wife came in weeping, the doctor nearly died, because there he was, sitting up alive, and the guy is still alive today. He's a jeweler in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, we have some marvelous things in our being, but that's what God wants to preserve. Your personality, your reason, your emotions, your will, this whole part is you. The Spirit, of course, is that which connects us to God. And we have in the Spirit, just to close with, the ability to intuit, to get knowledge without being consciously told, the ability to worship, which we call devotion, and the ability of conscience, which is the ability to know and evaluate and weigh moral light that God gives to us. In a real way, we're made in God's image, with a being like the Son, with a, with a being like the Son, with a personality like the Father, and with the Spirit, put us in contact with the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the marvelous being of man, and we thank you most of all that you can communicate and talk with us because you're a person and we've been made in your image. We pray you'll help us to realize the marvelous glory that you have in your heart that's reflected in our own beings. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's our podcast for the week. Thanks for tuning in. That was Winky Prattney talking about the soul of a man. And we're going to tag out with a little bit of Eric Burden singing about the same. See you next week.